Welcome back to Queer Death Stories. It's me, Moon, and it's almost that time again. What time, you ask? Winter solstice, of course. That's what we celebrate over here at this intersection of queerness and death. Witchy little intersection that it is. So we've got this end of year fabulous full moon in Gemini, and it's sparkly, and it's giving us reflection and depth and beauty and it's kind of the perfect time really for me to share this conversation with you. I just want to say that I do like to keep things light and I laugh a lot and you know I'm really excited to share these conversations with you but I do want to say for this one maybe just a little content warning because it is about homicide grief. And that's a subject that I'm really interested in because you may not know this, but I have another podcast called Strange Moon Podcast. And I'm sharing stories like personal ghost stories and um, actually sort of, I guess, unraveling is the word I would like to use, a true crime that happened in my hometown of Baltimore City like 20 some years ago. And so I do love true crime. I am curious about the human mind, but I also am really invested in the stories of recovery and healing and community and repairing. And so when I met Lee, the co-host of Queers Next Door, you might have heard me interview for Strange Mood Podcast. They suggested that I talk to their co-host, Megan Ashley, because they actually are a survivor of a true crime. And I absolutely leapt at the chance, and I just adore Megan. She is a gift on this planet, a beautiful, intelligent, amazing human being who's been through unspeakable events. And I really wanted to give her this opportunity to share her story because too often society is revering the crime or the criminal or just, you know, putting that focus on the sensationalism. And you'll hear me say that later on in the interview, but I just really wanted to give her the floor, so to speak, to share her story. And she did, and it's incredible. And I know it's been a while since this happened, but that's what's so funny about healing. And I think she even says that. It always changes on you. You know, it's not this linear event. So that's grief, right? We know that now more than ever, we're having these conversations. But her ability to share her journey with PTSD and grief and trauma, and then on top of that, healing from tragedy, is why I just admire her so much. And if you want to hear more about her personal story from that actual event, please go find her on Instagram at hi Megan Ashley or Queers Next Door and tell her Moon says hi because I love her and you will too. Also, I just want to say that our friend Lee, I didn't realize that they were not using she, her pronouns anymore by the time we had this conversation. 
And I think actually, you know, after we were finished taping, Megan let me know that Lee was going by they, them. And I just want to say I apologize um, because I think it's so important that we use the proper pronouns that people prefer. And Lee is also an amazing person, and you'll hear about them in this episode too. An amazing friend. Um, just take good care while you're listening out there, and I'll be back afterwards. Lots of love to you all, and thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. Honestly, I feel like um, a bit of like, a not a groupie, but I'm like definitely a fan. I love your podcast, Queers Next Door, and I'm so excited to be a guest on it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to have you. So cool. Um, And also just um, because of how you show up. You know, I think every Friday you do your live um, sharing, mm-hmm. um, which I think um, people, anybody can follow, mm-hmm. but people who um, want to know more about your story can definitely you know, find you there on Instagram. But um, I just think it's so courageous. So oh, thank you. I really admire you. Um, and, you know, just opening up to talk about um your trauma and your your path towards healing mm-hmm. um I was our mutual friend Lee um was like oh I want you to meet my friend Megan who's your co you know your co-host on the show um I was introduced to Lee because of my other podcast Strange Moon which is true crime and um ghost stories and that sounds awesome by the way <laughs> thank you But one of the things that, one of the reasons I'm doing that is because I'm telling this true crime story um, that's kind of personal. It's about Baltimore, which now Mm -hmm. you're in Baltimore and I'm in California. Mm -hmm. There's that whole connection. Yeah. But it's like kind of to um, not necessarily like celebrate, but like to talk about the person, uh, Carrie, who died Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of times when people hear true crime, they either have two reactions. It's usually like, Ugh, or they're like, oh, you know, there's this, um, you know, sensationalism, the oh, galvanization yes. of the, the crime itself. And um, I'm a lot more interested, I think, in like the, the people who are, are healing from it. Um, oh my goodness. Yes, me too. I always say that it's, it's harder to see the person healing than it is to look at the crime and be like, oh my goodness, you know, and try to understand why, what happened, you know, people always want to make sense of it. And I think that's easier. And I don't want to say fun, but just for lack of a better word, that's like more fun to do than to like, look at the person who's healing and have to be like, oh, I, you know, this happened. It's someone's real life and they're struggling. And I don't want to have to look at that if I don't have to, you know? Right. Yeah, that hits a little bit deeper. I mean, so I I work as a queer death midwife. And so like my interest is is more about grief and healing. And um, I, I came to that because of personal trauma um, that was like, oh, this is this is where I need to show up. I need to help other people like me. But um, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, it's the unseen, you know, and like, we don't normally get to talk to people who have been in these situations about their feelings because of they need to protect themselves. Um, And I think you're doing a great job, by the way. I think like you understand your boundaries, um, you know, which is really important, but also recognize like other people can benefit from hearing your story. Um, And that's not easy you know that's not easy work well thank you so much I think now it's been well I know it's been 15 years but I think that that's why I'm able to do this because you know there's been so many years and I've went through so many different ways of coping and healing and like now I can I know what works for me and what I don't want to share and I can stand pretty firm in those boundaries whereas before I was just 
all over the place and I didn't know, you know, what was going to help me or not. And I was scared to put myself out there. And um, yeah, so I've had lots of practice. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that does help. Yeah, time, time definitely helps those. Um, yeah. But still, I mean, it is pretty unusual that we hear the other side for various reasons, because, um, you know, maybe the person didn't survive. Mm -hmm. We don't know their story, like in the story that I'm telling. Um, But also because um, there's this like, you know, need to like not look at it anymore. And I think Uh you you were sharing in one of your last live um, sessions um where you always do your nails which I'm always really inspired by by the way because I'm like oh <laughs> I love that um but you were talking about like people sometimes say to you like why do you feel the need to keep sharing the story or why do you feel the need to you know doesn't it harm you or upset you or um a lot of you know well you know because it's your life and your experience and in my own situation with trauma and um advocacy um for others I do think like yeah we have to talk about it because otherwise you know what happens then it's just like yeah so just I guess that happens a lot like yes <laughs> there's this quote that always sticks out anytime this comes up to me I don't think I've talked about this on the live yet but I should maybe this Friday talk about this woman's story it was very inspiring to me her name is Madonna Badger mm. her um, house burned down on Christmas Eve and she lost all of her children she had three children and her parents and she and her boyfriend survived and she talks a lot about her trauma she's done like a TED talk I believe and she said people always ask her you know why doesn't it hurt you it's like reharming yourself and she said that when i share my story with you it's like you're taking a piece of it and it's not all on me anymore and it, and that's very helpful and i always think about that cuz i think that's so true and that's why i think it's very important i always say like my whole instagram life is like trigger warnings because right <laughs> it's all traumatic stuff and you know there's healing and there and i always talk about queer joy mixed into it to show like that there's life and there can be life and joy after trauma um but i want to make sure people are you know able to handle whatever i have to say and that it's not going to be hard on them or that it's going to ruin their day because I also think I'm a little confusing because I'm always smiling and happy (laughs) at least that's what Instagram sees right Right, and um and then I'm like okay I'm here to talk about my mom's murder glitter you know (laughs) I know I I love that confusing but I just did a post about this the other night which I deleted and I never do things like that because I'm very used to vulnerability but I did this post about feeling like Instagram sees only one side of me and it's not that I try to do that it's just that we're more likely to share things like that right and um I went into this whole thing about how like you know being bipolar and depressed and having PTSD and stuff and also considering myself a witch and practicing witchcraft that there's like this I've heard a lot of times that I feel that I should be able to heal myself right that um I should be able to like make myself somehow be healed from all this stuff so I have some like shame around that and that's a whole other story but it's definitely there are still even though I'm so out there there are some things that are hard for me to share (laughs) you know I find myself having these weird vulnerable reactions to things so the next morning I woke up and I was like oh I'm gonna delete that and so I'll probably talk about that on Friday too because it's very rare that I do something and then I think oh that needs to go away I used to do that a lot Uh, my whole life I've written things and then deleted them or destroyed them threw them away I'm just now getting to the point where I can handle what I have to say and what I think and having it written down because it's so permanent to me when it's written down or shared somewhere right and I worry about who can see it and you know what's going to happen so healing is very interesting it is yeah I mean I you know, thanks for sharing that with me. Cause I think, you know, very similarly, like, I think it's like, and I just had this amazing conversation with um, another death worker earlier. And we were talking about queer intersectionality with death and, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
kind of what you're doing, even though it's maybe not falling under this like um, label, but I do feel like what you're doing is part of what we do as death workers. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, whether you see yourself as that or not, that's, that's kind of essentially, you know, you're, you're already doing that kind of work. Um, and it is uncomfortable, you know, and there's a lot of expectation that like, you know, oh, well, you, you know, you've got it figured out because, you know, X, Y, and Z, but mm -hmm. you're just living your, your experience. And, um, so, you know, I'm all about like, if it doesn't feel good that day, then, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, you don't have to share it. Um, yeah. I see that a lot, like with Instagram too, and like the immediacy, like people really wanting stuff from people, mm -hmm. um, you know, more explanations or, you know, clarifications or whatever. Um, but I think it's really important to be like, well, those are people, <laughs> you know, and they're living with themselves, you know, we're all living with ourselves. And um, I share my story a lot because I think it helps other queer people and I think it helps other people who go through um like the aftermath of, of someone who died um but my my first wife um was abusive and she also was an addict and she also took her own life um so oh I became goodness. a widow at 40 um and uh because there is a lot of ridiculousness that kind of surrounded the situation and just my nature Sometimes I find myself laughing kind of inappropriately or what other people <laughs> might find disturbing. Yeah. But I'm like, you have no idea what that shitstorm looked like, you know? Uh -huh. So I just kind of have to be like, well, yeah, you know, here I am. I'm so sorry for your loss, by the way. Thank you. Although I know it must be complicated given all those circumstances, yeah, but still. Underline yeah, yeah. <laughs> underline that like by a thousand. Yeah, it's really complicated. And um, I'm so grateful to be able to like, you know, have the opportunity to talk to other people about it. And um, maybe like I've heard you say, if it helps other people share their story or, um, you know, feel seen or better validated, um, then that's, you know, it does, I think like Madonna Badger, which I think is an amazing name, by the way. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it does help, like, does. take that off of you, you know, somewhat liberate you from, you know, this whatever shadow or uh -huh. however you see it. And I love to think that if even if we're just helping someone start to heal or start to go through the process, because sometimes maybe with trauma, you might think, I don't even want to start going through the tunnel of working on it because it's going to be too much. Right. But I think when you see people who are going through it or have gone through it, you know, even though it's never ending and coming out the other side or having, you know, joy in their life or being able to share, I think some people think, okay, maybe I can do that too. Definitely. Um, one of the first things I did when I moved to California um, to distance myself from what happened back East was to um, become an advocate for um, domestic violence or inner partner violence um, and really try to like shine the light on like that it happens, it's not gendered and that, um, yeah. you know, queer people need a lot more resources in general because um, systems are not usually there for us. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, or they're, they're harmful or they're, they're unsafe in other words. So, mm -hmm. um, and yeah fortunately because of that I have been able to connect with other people who are going through it and and need the, the support but um it's definitely like you said like healing is such a process mm -hmm. because some days are just like wow that really yeah. happened <laughs> or you know yes I definitely still have that although I was just saying it's been 15 years and that's a lot of time I still have those moments where I'm like, is this real? Did this really happen to me? And it's just so unbelievable. And other times I'm like, okay, you know, I'm used to this. I can carry this with me. And I know this happened. And other times I'm just like, how did this happen? How is this real? So it's always changing. You know, every day is a new, <laughs> a new day with dealing with it. And 
uh, it can be very tough, but other days can feel light. And um, I never thought that I would feel this good again. Mm-hmm. So I'm very thankful. And I go to therapy every two weeks and we're always talking about this. She's always like, you're doing so well. And I'm like, yeah, I forget like little things. Um, where I live now, I was just taking the trash out at night and it's very dark outside. There's not many lights like there was in California right. when I lived there in Long Beach. And um, I was like thinking, I'm not even scared right now. And 15 <laughs> years ago, I would have never thought just even walking outside in the dark by myself would be an option for me ever again. And it's those little things that you don't even realize. And all of a sudden you're just like, I am doing a good job. I am healing. This is amazing. And I think it's funny and not funny, but you know, we're like opposite because me leaving California was like getting away from that for me (laughs) and you leaving Baltimore or Maryland was you getting away from it. So we switched. It's true. I mean, I think it was really funny probably when I first met Lee, um, you know, I think she was probably like, huh? (laughs) I was telling her my story and she's like, yeah, wow. You know, and it does, it does help. I mean, I don't know how you feel. It's been three years for me that I've lived here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a huge culture shock because we live in um, South Orange County. Mm -hmm. Yes, (laughs) I worked there for many years. So, you know, it's pretty different than Baltimore. Um, Yes. And I'm trying to just like step into the gratitude of like, it's been a great transformation for me. I miss Baltimore so much, you know, because it's my heart town, but um, I feel like I was called here to do some kind of work, you know, and definitely death and advocacy became a big part of that. Um, But yeah, it is, it is strange that we just kind of like reversed um, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but so what, what do you think, like, you know, for the future, your, for what you're, you know, on your path, mm-hmm. like, will be the most um, healing for you? Like, what, I know you're writing your memoir. So we just talked about that. Do you think like, you know, when you have that and you can kind of hold it or see it, like, will that kind of help? Um, I don't know, you know, like, yeah, I think we're doing the same, we're doing the same thing. Like I'm also writing, you're like ahead of me, you know, but like, I'm like, yeah, I feel like writing this out is going to be, I think it's going to make me feel like, even if I pass away, my mom's story is still there and my story. And that feels like a legacy in a way. And, you know, I always thought I would have children, but now I don't think I'm going to. And I just feel like it's something for me to leave behind. And I spent so many years thinking of my mom and only being able to think about her murder and only being able to think about her being stabbed. Um, And now I don't think, I mean, of course, I still have those images. I have flashbacks and stuff, but I'm able to think of her memory now, her life and not just her death and not just her murder. And so the book is about her murder, but it's also about life and just the story of it. And um, it's hard for me to say for the future because my mom's murder is actually going to be up for parole probably in three years. Hmm. And I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know if she'll get out. I'm, I mean, I'm going to go to the hearing. I'm going to do everything I can. Of course, I want her to stay in. I don't know what it will be like for my PTSD. And, you know, it's going to throw a whole, it's going to like change everything about how I'm dealing with things, I'm sure. So I don't really know. It's hard for me to say. I feel like that's like, I'm in limbo with that. I don't know what's going to happen yet. And Mm -hmm. I'm also, there is the part of me that's nervous about putting the story out there because I'm like, well, she can read it or her family can read it. And I I don't want anyone to be upset by anything. Although it's like, she's the murderer, you know what? Right. I can't change what she's done and neither can she. So, but there is that part and, you know, writing about family members and stuff. You're like, am I going to upset anybody? I don't want, and I need people's help because there are things I don't remember. So going through all that it's you know a little challenging but I do think that that's gonna it's been healing I wrote 
16,000 words on my first try and it was so triggering and like re-traumatizing to write that I thought oh my gosh why did I even ever want to do this (laughs) and then I came back to it and wrote like 8,000 words and I was like okay I feel okay about this but it's not going the way I want it to so then I restarted again (laughs) and now I'm tomorrow I'll reach 10,000 words so I've never gotten too far into it but it's been like over a year process and I feel like this time is the easiest time for me writing it writing out the story maybe because I'm used to it now I feel like it's connecting me to so many great memories and I'm making a playlist for the memoir. I love that. I love music that. Is such an important part of it. Yes. Like that Same. can transport me back to the times <laughs> that I'm remembering. So I actually have it on the post-it here. It's like Lisa yeah. Loeb, Whitney Houston, Donna Summer, like all kinds of just amazing songs that I listen to. And it brings me back to like childhood. So, um, but I do think that that's like, my labor of love right now is the memoir getting it out there I've been contacted by people to do different stories about it like I survived it and stuff like that and I've never felt like it was the right fit um, because when I tell the story I don't use the murderer's name right and I have my weird things like that and that's not what other people want from me and of course when I do this memoir I have to get comfortable with the fact that people are probably going to know the murderer's name it's going to be out there and that's okay but I've been able to like have certain control over it and and have this come out the way that I want it to exactly whereas the other stories it's like you know of course I'm participating I'm telling my side but at the end of the day it's their thing whatever they want is going to be what happens so this feels like the right thing for me to do to to have it out there the way that I want it. And then whatever else happens inside of my control, I'll just have to deal with it as it comes. Yeah, I really, um, I understand that. Well, first of all, playlists, I have so many um, to go with this writing (laughs) process because music is, well, and I always ask everybody who's been a guest so far to send me music um, so I can make them a playlist. So of course, I'm going to ask you to do that too as like a mixtape. Thank you. Um, but also, you know, um, part of writing my story is very similar. It's like, I do worry about my, um, you know, my, my ex's, um, family was, um, not very cooperative, um, after she died, which added like other layers of trauma, like just trying to, to take care of the situation, um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's been a big part of, you know, my process too. So I totally understand that, like, well, if I put this out there, you know, and then they read it, you know, but ultimately I feel like it's really just for myself. And like you said, it's like a legacy thing, but also, um, you know, in your situation and even in mine, in some, in some sense, um, it's like a tribute, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you feel. I, I saw that, you know, you were sharing that um, your mom's murderer was on a podcast. And um, for me, like my process with with my situation, because there was so much harm, but then there was also like, you know, we were in a relationship. So I kind of knew her, I mean, in an intimate way. Um, it's been like a lot of, um, understanding that you know trying to have compassion for her but also like protecting myself at the same time which Mm -hmm. is a really fucking challenging dance yes I imagine (laughs) because people will be like you know my wife now is very protective um you know there's like a response that people have to someone who's died and not speak ill of the dead and things mm-hmm. like that and want to say like you know like you did which is is right like I'm sorry for your loss uh-huh. but it's also um you know it's very convoluted because I for myself for my own liberation have really had to just be like she was over here I'm over here you know and I try to be as forgiving as I can but also like no (laughs) you know so like you do you know what I'm saying like it's it's 
it's challenging because this person is still alive and um, people gave her airtime, yeah. you know? Um, and that was one of the reasons why I was like, I really wanted to talk to you today, like now. So you, you know, like, I do think that um, unfortunately society is really who I hold responsible because um, people end up becoming like, you know, celebrated mm -hmm. when they really need to be just held accountable. Yeah. Yeah, it was shocking to find that out. And apparently this has been out, out since March and I just found out, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago now, I think it must have been. And I was just so shocked. I couldn't believe the response that I had to it was just like, I just went right into shock. And I was trying to hold it together because when I found out I came home and my partner's brother was here. And of course I wasn't, I mean, I did end up telling pretty much everyone that I could possibly tell, but at that moment I wasn't ready. And I just didn't want to like word vomit, like, oh my gosh, this thing happened and I'm probably going to start <laughs> weeping in a second. So I just tried to hold it together and I was talking like normal, like, you know, oh, about the weather or about what we're going to have for dinner. And I was in my head, I like, all I could think about was this. And I wanted to run upstairs and research it and listen to it. And I had to wait because, you know, I was just dealing with average life stuff. So once I finally sat down, I was like, oh shit, am I really going to listen to this? And I knew I was going to, I had to. So I listened to the whole thing, sitting down in my chair in my bedroom in the dark, which again is super weird to me because I have this fear of the dark sometimes since this happened. And I listened to it and I was like, this is the first time I've heard her voice. Mm -hmm. um, I had all these worried thoughts about like, because, you know, people like the sensational parts of it. So I thought are they going to ask her like what it felt like to stab somebody? Am I going to be able to handle that? Mm. Um, Cause you never know what, you know, it just says like, she's talking about the murder. So you don't know what it's going to entail. And right. thankfully they didn't do any of that. And after it was over, I wasn't as upset as I thought I was going to be, but it was still just shocking. And I think the thing that hurt the worst was, first of all, I was like, why do people want to hear from her? Mm -hmm. but second of all, they used my photos in the I cover saw that. Yes. of the podcast. Right. And I was, me and Lee had just recorded or we were trying to record that day and we had some errors because, you know, Mercury retrograde stuff oh, yeah. that always happens. <laughs> so um, I had been talking to them and for some reason, it just seemed like that's who I wanted to reach out to. And so I was like, Lee, look at this. I'm so freaked out. I don't know what to do. And they were like, um, do you want me to email the podcast producer? And I was like, yes, I would have never thought of that. <laughs> so then she emailed him and, you know, said kind of like, um, you know, you're allowed to interview whoever you want, but at the very least, would you be willing to take the photos down? And he responded really quickly and said, yes, I'll take the photos down. Good. Um, but then also went on to say, like, I'm very respectful and I've been complimented from both sides, you know, the victims and the murderers. Wow. And, um, so he thinks he's doing an awesome job. And I have Great. not listened to any other episodes. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't bad. I'm, of course, I'm biased. Like, whatever is said on there, I'm not going to love because it's talking about my mom's murder from the person who murdered her. Right. So. I just think like what goes through someone's head when they decide to use the victim's photos in, and it wasn't even my mom. He didn't use a picture of my mom, which could have been found on Google the same, probably on the same page as what he found me on. So he used me, the living victim and me crying in the courtroom. Right. Right. So I was like, what? I mean, I guess I get it. Cause again, it's like sensationalized and he used my dad's picture because right. my dad looked really upset in there and he was not even there that night. So I don't know. It just made, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And I think that was the worst part because I felt very violated mm -hmm. by it. Although again, these images are on Google so people can find them and do what they want with them. But I was just like, this is a podcast from the murderer. So why not just use her photos? Like that really just kind of blew me away. But I was really happy that Lee did that and mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for them. And 
happy that he decided to take them down. Although last time I looked, they were still up, but it could just be that, you know, it's not refreshed on my phone. I don't really know. So. I mean, I, I saw it because of the face, you shared it on Facebook. Yes. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. They chose, he chose uh, photos that would evoke, you know, a reaction, a response, mm -hmm. um, instead of like, this is the person who did the, you know, who did this crime. Yeah. Really weird choice. Yeah, I thought so too. But it was also the first time I heard her say sorry, mm. which I think um, she had, I heard that she had been told not to say anything, not even sorry. So I don't know that she would have wanted to, but I just remember thinking that for someone who did this, apparently who didn't mean to do it or feels, didn't look like they felt any remorse. Mm. Um, again, I don't know what she was told to do during the trial. I'm sure they gave her some kind of advice. Maybe they told her how to be, I don't really know, but so it was just kind of weird and intense to hear from her about it and because they asked what would you say to the victims and it was like I'm sorry there's nothing I could do could ever make it better but I'm just I think she just said sorry over and over again um which I guess was nice but also doesn't change anything like she right. said so it was just hard all around to listen to it and still I think it's going to take probably like many more months before I process how I really feel about that yeah of course I mean that's that's really intense because it's in real time you yeah know? like you're yeah so yeah I I'm really glad we did that they're really fierce and yes. um and yeah that's that's important I, I mean, I just have to say, like, I'm new at podcasting, but even just when I interview someone that I kind of know, mm -hmm. I mean, even though, you know, I don't really know people, but I'm meeting them this way, I still like to ask them for permission to, like, share their image or their artwork or whatever, because mm -hmm. it just feels better. Yeah. Not make an assumption like, oh, so, yeah, I think the ethics of that are very questionable and, mm -hmm. um, that's why, like, um, even though I, I have, like, a fascination for the psychology of, like, why people do what they do, and I think that's why true crime is, you know, something that I've always been somewhat drawn to, the older I get and the more, you know, understanding I have with my own trauma and, like, you know, other people's trauma, I'm like, well yeah I don't I don't think we should be so focused on this like you know ooh, you know part yeah. of it it's more like how can we do better as a society to find resources for people who are struggling so they do not end up harming others mm -hmm. um, but that is really not your problem <laughs> that's not my problem you know, like it's, it's really like, you know, I hope that people, when they listen to your story, understand that, yeah, you were victimized. You're not a victim, you know, and you're doing your best to like, you know, live your life peacefully and joyfully after this horrific thing happened to you. Non like makes no sense that this happened to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel very protective. I'm just going to say that, you know, for, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yes, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, um, I guess like, I don't know. Do you feel like, um, like with, your story being something that you're working on currently, like mm -hmm. writing it down. And then also like, so, you know, the infusion of like queer joy is also like just as important because you have your podcast, you know, where you're talking about like actual living. I don't know. So like, how, how did you like figure that out in the midst of like being harmed that like, um, this is something that you really needed to do too. Cause I think that's something that, you know, makes you pretty unique in the situation too, is like, it didn't break you. You're, 
you know, you're representing like life goes on and and how to to shine that, you know, light. Um, yeah. I think I was really young. I was 18. So I think I that gave me some resiliency that sometimes I don't see in other people who have been through this. And I hope that doesn't sound bad, but I used to go to support groups called POMC, Parents of Murdered Children. And I went there for many years and it was so helpful because it was like being in a room with everyone who understands you. And we would go around and say, you know, like our introduction was always like, I'm Megan. Um, my mom was murdered in 2006. Her name was this and she was 37 years old and the murderer is in prison for 36 years to life. So it was like, you know, by the time 20 people go through their story, it, there's so much emotion in the room. And it's like, okay, everyone take a deep breath. But it was so nice to be heard and understood and like everyone just kind of gets you in a way that other people don't but there have been I would it was more rare that I would meet someone like myself who was involved in the crime because a lot of times when someone's attempted to be killed they're actually killed Mm -hmm. so it was more rare but it did happen a few times here and there but really the parents who lost children sometimes it's like their lives just stopped which I can't imagine because I don't have children, but I know that that must be like the ultimate pain. Um, And it would be like, sometimes people can't even say their names. They can't even, you know, have pictures out, which I also couldn't have pictures for a while. But I think being the daughter instead of the parent, Mm -hmm. you know, made it less traumatic in a way and also my age. So I still, I don't know why, but I just think, that that really helped me in some ways Um, because I was in this state of like, I'm an adult, no way I'm still a child because I was 18, you know? Um, So there was this kind of like rebellious side of me that was like, okay, I'm ready to be on my own anyways. And now like the world has just done this to me, not the world, but you know what I mean? It was like, I was mad at the whole world. And so there was parts of me that were like, okay, I'm an adult anyways, I'm ready. And I just assumed like one day I'll be over this and one day uh, I won't need my mom anymore and everything will be fine. Like I had this like naivete (laughs) about it that kind of pushed me forward, (laughs) you know? So I think that was helpful, which sounds really weird to say because like, you know, looking for the helpful parts of it, but. um... Not at all. I mean, (laughs) not at all like whatever whatever works right I mean I think that that's really beautiful because you know that resiliency is so pure it's like no one taught you know you can't teach someone that that's just you you know um on your on your path and yeah yeah, it's powerful and also having lived through a near-death experience I think kind of changed the way that I view and interact with the world and while it definitely scared me and traumatized me and there's so many things that took away from me it also gave me you know when I was sitting behind the car after I had been stabbed and I was losing consciousness I thought I was dying and at the time I used to go to church I was pretty religious so okay I think that no matter what I would have talked to God at that time just because you know you're like oh crap I'm dying right but it made more sense too because I I was going to church I was religious like I was in college and I used to carry the Bible with me and read it during my breaks. Like so opposite of how I feel now. Yeah. But, um, so that's, yeah, that's just where I was in life. So I started talking to God and I was like, Oh, this sucks because I never got married. I never became a teacher like I wanted to, but I guess I'm going to die. And I just felt like there was so much I wanted that I didn't get to do. Mm-hmm. And then I came to peace with it and I was like, okay, well, I'm ready to die. This is great because I wasn't in any pain yet. Everything felt calm and peaceful, which is so weird given what the situation I was in. You know, I didn't know where the murderer was, like if she was going to come back after me. I had no idea. I was just sitting behind this car after I had escaped from her. And I just felt so ready. I just felt like I was sinking into the cement 
and kind of like going to sleep and it was like a lovely feeling mm-hmm. and I'm like I think part of me knew if I survived I was gonna have to deal with it mm. and if I died I was a little scared I remember feeling a little scared like I don't know what's gonna happen when I finally really do go but it's gonna be easier than living through it so that also when I you know realized okay I guess I'm gonna actually live through this and it was like damn you know part of me was like damn it but the other part of me was like okay well I can do the things that I really wanted to do so I did end up getting married I did become a teacher I did the things that I said when I was behind the car but it also gave me like you know it made me come out it made me um want to feel joy again want to feel happiness because I was like if I I'm going to be stuck here. I might as well be happy at some point or try to be as much as I can. So I think I've always been committed to my healing. Mm-hmm. Once I realized I would survive, it was like, oh shit. Okay. I guess I'll have to do this. You know, <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, that is exactly what we call in this work. We call death uh, conscious dying um, where you just kind of are, you know, kind of peacefully, accepting or embracing um that's really amazing um yeah just that like you have that clarity of that Mm -hmm. time and also that you have the humor that you do I mean I think it's really what's you know saved your life is Mm -hmm. to I mean what else are you supposed to do you know like wow And I've really loved to be able to be at those meetings. Um, I spoke at a few vigils and I've really loved to offer that perspective, especially to parents who've lost children to murder Mm -hmm. that, you know, I was stabbed in the lung and it was so close to killing me. Like apparently it was like right almost to my heart and I would have just died instantly. And so that's kind of like a crazy thing to think about. Like I was so close to death but I wasn't in pain until I was being saved. Like, you know, after they found me, cut my clothes off and stuff, then I started to feel pain. So I like to think of that for my mom that, you know, she wasn't in pain, that Mm -hmm. maybe she had those same calm and peaceful feelings. And I like to think that all murder victims can have that, you know, and it's been very helpful to tell people that if those were my last moments, I wasn't, just thinking about like what just happened to me and I'm in so much pain and this wears everybody and this is the worst I was kind of like I don't really know what happened to me but I feel okay and I feel ready to go and you know you have your conversation with God or whoever or whatever you kind of believe in or you're coming to terms with it it's kind of like a beautiful thing and I hope that that's what people have been through instead of thinking because you know and I still even though I've had that experience personally, I still sometimes think, oh my gosh, my poor mom, you know, I wonder what she was thinking if she was in pain Um, because she was also stabbed in the chest, but I was only stabbed twice and she was stabbed 30 times. Mm. So, but I think, you know, going into shock was kind of lovely to be, you know, if you have to experience that, then at least you're in shock and so you don't feel it right away. Yeah. Well, I think like, you know, what you're suggesting is that we have this ability to, to sort of choose the narrative Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, because you have that lived experience. Um, yeah, I think testifying to that is, is really important for other people because immediately you're, you're thinking the worst. Yeah. But, um, my, my mentor from my, my, my classes was definitely like guiding us through those possibilities um, when we were in this like um, class called Into the Grave, um, which is like very gothic sounding. But um, yeah, like what ifs? Like what if this is your your last moment and this has happened to you? Um, and that's really you know hard for people to separate that you know if it's like a car accident or you know like in your situation where you've just been attacked automatically assume that we're you know fearful and in pain but um yeah it's like it's not necessarily the case um that's really amazing that those meetings exist I like knowing that um and I think you're right I think it's probably um 
really difficult to move on as a parent, um, you know, in a, in a different way because um, so much is like imposed on like the child. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. I can't even imagine. And there's, I haven't written this part yet, but it's such an important part of my book. And I think it's an important part of my healing journey is that ever since I, well, the first time I went to the meeting, um, everyone was lovely and welcoming and stuff and hugging and, you know, like very supportive, but everyone was like, oh my gosh, you need to meet this person. I'll just call her Alice. Like you really need to meet Alice. And I was like, what is it about? And they, everyone just kept saying it, but apparently she didn't come to meetings that often. So I was like, what is it about this person? And no one would like say exactly what it was. But then when I finally did meet her, she had been in the exact same situation as me, only her daughter was murdered and she survived. But like she witnessed her daughter's murder. She was attacked herself. And meeting her actually really, really changed my life and helped me heal because it was someone who I felt like completely understood me. It makes me emotional even talking about it because we decided to go have lunch one day together to talk because everyone kept saying we really needed to meet. And so we just, I, there was this moment where we just looked at each other. Oh my gosh, I might cry talking about it. And it was like, it was the first time, you know, I said being in POMC meetings, it was like being very understood, but it was the first time I looked at someone and we just like almost cried looking at each other. We were like, this is something that, you know, very few people get, but we totally get. And she told me how she was homeless for a few years by choice because it felt safer. Mm-hmm. to live in the car than in the house where something happened which I was like I totally understand and I've wanted to like live in my car and I used to have friends drive me around all night if they would just driving in the car because I felt like that was the safest place even mm-hmm. though like now I'm terrified of car accidents I hate being in the car mm-hmm. <laughs> but for the first few years it felt like moving in the car was safer than being in the house so it was just like all these things that were so specific that she was saying that I was like yeah me too and she was in I think it had been like 20 years when I met her since it all happened with her and she was telling me like her story of how she lives with roommates now and she pet sits and like finds so much joy in that and she was like I had someone build me a custom bed that rocks because it makes me feel better Yeah, because it helps me sleep. And if you can find those little tiny things that people are like, what the heck, you know, that's what makes life worth living. And I was like, oh my gosh, it totally just changed my whole life because I was living on my own, Mm -hmm. you know, right as soon as it happened. And I was so hesitant to get attached to anything or to like have to make my space look beautiful because I hated being in the house or I felt like the worst place for me, the most unsafe place was my own home. Um, Being at other people's houses was safer. Being in in the car was safer, but being in my own home was like, you know, this is where bad things happen. So she totally changed my life. And I started to buy like these really comfortable pillows. And I bought this table that I really liked and just like things that when I looked at them, I was like, oh, this is nice, you know? Mm -hmm. And I started to like change the way that I viewed my environment. And I think what I hope that I'm doing for others, she really did for me by showing me that like, yes, this terrible thing happened and there were days where I thought I wouldn't survive afterwards, but I am and I am happy and I'm still remembering my daughter and I'm living with joy now and living unconventionally, you know, ways that she said other people just don't understand, but for her it works. And so I was like, okay, this kind of gives me permission to think I could do this. And so yeah. she's a very important part of my story. Although I don't, we're not in touch. I don't even know how I would get a hold of her. I'm sure I could if I really tried and it might be nice to do so, but I do think we meet people on our journey and sometimes they don't stay forever, but right. it was just like this lovely connection that totally changed my life. So I have to thank her for everything that I'm doing now. <laughs> That's so incredible. I mean, I think like one of the words that you use was permission and, you know, that's such an important part of like your living with intention, you know, I know for myself too. And like when I was hearing you talk before um, about like PTSD, um, I think it was when one of your Friday um, talks mm-hmm. and just like how it's really hard to explain to someone who doesn't understand it, um, like what that feels like. Um and 
So yeah, anything that you can do, whether it's like you know, changing your pillows or living in your car or getting a bed that rocks. I mean, really, we just have to kind of succumb to it in a way mm-hmm. to, um, to acknowledge that that's what's really happening. Um, because we don't really, I think like, you know, we don't really understand it enough um, as far as like, you know, um, like it's understood with like veterans more than it is for trauma survivors. Um, the Body Keeps Score, that book really helped change my life. I don't know if you read that. Um, I have it on my Kindle and I read some of it, but I haven't finished it. It can be kind of intense. Want, yes, it was very intense when I started. I don't think I was ready for it. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> but it's still there because I do want to read it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually just saw um, the author in a in a true crime documentary um, uh, last night that I was watching. Um, and like I say, like part of the fascination is like, how do people tell these stories and also like reconcile that like, you know, like really just supporting people who go, you know, through this, um, be it mostly the families. Um, but I was so glad to see him because my wife gave me that book um, when I was like struggling to understand PTSD. And even though like reading other people's like accounts, you know, at the time was really hard for me. Cause I'm like, oh my God, then I'm like crying cause I'm yeah. understanding. It was also just kind of validating to be like, yeah, PTSD is, is actually real and it's debilitating. And it changes absolutely everything, um, every, you know, from taking out the trash <laughs> to mm-hmm. like going on vacation, you know, like, um, yeah. Well, I hope that Alice, um, you know, this person is is out there and, you know, doing their best. Like, yeah. I want to say great, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. in the sense of like, whatever that means you know that they're finding like peace um yeah well I really appreciate you sharing with me so much I could talk to you forever Um, (laughs) I know me too (laughs) but you know maybe you know I'll get you to come back again you know down the road um definitely gonna be excited to talk to you on your show um more about (laughs) death and queerness yeah Yeah, and what you do yeah that would be so awesome sure I don't think we've talked about that really so it will be great to have you on and sharing about that and I'm sure there will be so many things that come up for all of us together yeah definitely um so I pulled a card for you from my my little deck and it says um well, actually, it was stuck to two. It was actually two. So I was like, hmm, interesting. Um, the first one was, if I'm just going to like be honest, the first one was, what do you refuse to accept? And I was like, well, that's that's powerful. Okay. And then the other one was, what's the happiest moment of your life? And I was oh, like, oh, wow. Right. So um, if either of those feel like... <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, was, the first thing that jumped out about what you refuse to accept, and I just my first thought, even though it doesn't really make sense, was death because I was like, I mm. refuse to accept that I can no longer communicate with my mom, and that she's like, just gone. Right. Um, because I feel so much of her presence, and I, you know, I have an altar, and I have her pictures, and I like candles for her, and all this stuff, and I just feel very connected with her still. I love that. It took many years. You know, I didn't have that for a while and I thought that would never happen. And now that it's happening, I just feel like amazing about it. So I refuse to accept that death is so final and that they're just gone and, you know, you can't have access to their love anymore. So, um, and then as far as the happiest moment of my life, I was just writing about this, that before this happened if someone said what was the worst moment of your life I don't think I would have known what to say but now I know for sure I know the worst moment of my life right was finding out my mom died but I don't know the happiest moment of my life off the top of my head which is sad because I should but I haven't you know like I think that's one of those answers that people who have kids say like 
that was the best day of my life when I gave birth to my daughter. And it's like, I don't have that. And uh, I've since been divorced from my marriage. So I haven't been remarried yet to have that as my happiest day. But okay, I think maybe the happiest day of my life was the first day that I met my partner. We went on a date that was really incredible. And this is a whole other topic, but she is sober and was in sober living. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of my queer dating life has been revolved around alcohol. Oh yeah, sure. That um, being sober and experiencing things like that, it was just like kind of magical. So I guess that's probably the happiest day of my life. My partner and I talk about that day all the time. It was like the best. I wear a bracelet that I have on that is the location of the date where we were at the first day we met. So I love I guess that. That's, that's a good. Wonderful. I've never really thought about it, but that's a good a good happy moment (laughs) yeah especially if it like keeps coming back as like this you know really joyful experience yeah I I think that that definitely is yeah it counts (laughs) yeah that's so sweet I'm so happy to meet you and um thank you again I really do appreciate you talking about this Um, of course thank you for having me on absolutely Until next time. Yes, until next time. Bye. Bye. Well, folks, I told you she's amazing. So amazing. What a sweetheart. And I can't wait till I go back east and get to hang out with her and give her a great big hug. It's just so inspiring to me to talk with folks who want to share their coping strategies, who want to share their grief stories. I'm in awe of so many of you. And my next guest is no different. Her name is Sarah. She's a mom. She's a nurse. And she's an abortion doula. Yeah, you heard that correctly an abortion doula. So amazing. I didn't even know that that existed until I met Sarah, but it makes sense. And if you've heard me talk about my abortion, then you've heard me say, and I definitely did in this, in this interview, but with Sarah, but you've heard me say that I was so alone and so full of shame that having someone by my side, would have been amazing, would have been a lifesaver. And I think so many of us who've been there know exactly what I'm talking about. So I look forward to sharing that conversation with you. You know, it's it's a little bit of a spicy and salty and explosive conversation, I'm sure, <laughs> for many people. But Sarah is fucking fierce. She's fierce. And it's just one of the reasons why I love her. So I really appreciate all of the little messages I've been getting lately from former guests who say, you know, so-and-so in their family have been listening, really enjoying the conversations. That means so much to me. That is exactly what I could only hope for is that you tell your people to listen share these conversations. Yes, I do drop the F-bomb. And (laughs) actually one of my friends said her grandma had listened and really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, well, I hope grandma is okay with uh, explicit content because I'm certainly explicit. But um, (laughs) I do so appreciate all of you for listening. And if you or someone you know has a great queer death story or you know, you're an artist and you want to talk about grief, please let me know. I'm almost booked for season two, but I'm still taking, um, I guess, submissions or I don't know, more guests is the best way to put it. Um, And I'm looking forward to so many different opportunities in 2022, and I will definitely keep you updated. But let's stay friends. Find me at Queer Death Stories or Strange Moon on Instagram. 
or on Facebook as Queer Death Stories. There's a private group there for you. Or Twitter, although I don't really hang out there very much, but I'd love to see what you're doing. Let's stay connected. And just make sure you do your full moon and winter solstice intentions because we all need a little extra magic right now. Manifest the shit out of this darkness that we're experiencing. You know, so much sadness, so much grief. And I want to say that even though we want to think that everyone's just living their best lives and really enjoying these holidays immensely, we know by now that so many people are struggling, so many people are depressed, so many people are consumed by grief and loneliness. Do your part, reach out to that friend, reach out to that neighbor or immunocompromised person and let them know you're thinking of them. And grievers, as a griever, I just wanna say, we do appreciate hearing from you. So let's us all look out for each other. Just do our best. Okay, you guys, I'm sending you a lot of love and I will talk to you soon. This is Moon. Take good care.